Amen. Amen. Would you mind just standing with me for just a moment as we kind of read over this morning's text from Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land and into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's pray this morning. God, I just pray that your uh, word would speak to us this morning, that it would come alive to us as we've been singing this morning, God, and that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears this morning to hear in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. This morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Exodus called, uh, it's called Exodus. It's pretty straightforward, but we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus that really begins with the life of Moses. It really begins with the life of Moses. And last week, we kind of went through the early story of Moses. We're continuing our series in the book of Exodus, and it really begins with the story of Moses. It begins with the life of Moses. And so last week, we kind of looked at this whole idea of Moses being prepared for his call. That, that all throughout Moses' life, the early days of his life, that even in uncertainty, even in confusion, even in questions and in mistakes, in missteps that he made, that, that Moses was ultimately always being prepared for what it was God was going to do in his life. And that Moses' life was spared in this season where every other person of his, uh, of his gender was being eliminated. That, that the king of Egypt was literally eliminating all of the young boys because he was so afraid of the children of Israel. And yet Moses' life was spared. But we realize that the life of Moses being spared is not just a story of preservation, but it's a story of preparation. That everything God was doing in Moses' life was to prepare him for what he would eventually do for the call that God had on his life. That even in extreme and frightening circumstances, he was being prepared for what God had for him. And so we catch up with Moses. He's committed murder. He's on the run. He's a stranger in a foreign land. And he's probably feeling like his life is going to be what it is right now forever. Have you ever been in one of those seasons where you just don't see the next step forward? You just don't see the way out of where you currently are. And I think many of us can identify with these seasons of feeling a lack of purpose feeling a lack of intention in our lives. And so Moses is tending sheep in Exodus 3, beginning in verse 3. 
And, and I kind of have this unwritten rule in my life that I never miss the beginning of a movie. If I'm thinking about going to see a movie, if friends are talking about going to see a movie, if there is any chance that we're going to arrive after the beginning of the movie, I'm out. I do not like walking into a movie even two or three minutes into the movie because it's amazing how much the way something begins tells you a lot about where it's going that you don't realize at the time, but what you're seeing is actually laying the groundwork for what is to come. What you're actually seeing is laying the groundwork for where this thing is going. And you don't think it's important information, and then you're an hour and 15 minutes into this movie, and you don't know why you don't know what's going on, because you missed something at the beginning. And there's not much of a dramatic build up in chapter three to this amazing, miraculous moment that Moses is about to experience. He's about to experience this life altering encounter with the presence of God through a burning bush. And yet the build up to it feels pretty mundane. Moses is tending the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro in the place of Midian. But, but what we see in this first verse of this chapter is that they begin by telling us who Moses was with, what he was doing, and where he was. Who he was with, what he was doing, and where he was. And it's amazing how critical those three questions can be to figuring out where you are going or how you got to where you are. I mean, I know that when I was of age where I was out and I was driving and I was kind of doing things on my own, if there was ever a hint or a whisper of me having done anything I wasn't supposed to do, these were the first three questions that my parents asked. Who were you with? Where were you? And what were you doing? Because if you can answer those three questions, you can learn a lot about how you ended up doing something that you did. You, you, when you find yourself in moments, good or bad, accomplishing something or doing something that you thought you would never do, you can look back on these three questions and often see how you got there. Who are you with? Where are you going? And what were you doing? See, the people in your life will determine the direction of your life. If you want to fulfill what God has for your life, you have to first constantly evaluate your relationships and ask yourself, do I have the right people in my life? Do I have the right people in my life to get to where God is trying to take me? See, there are people that will come into your life that can take you places that you could not get on your own. That they will take you places that you could not get on your own. And not only could you not get there on your own, you could not get there without them. Like you need those specific people to help get you to where you're going. When I was 12 years old, I was very into filmmaking and I loved all things movies, all things Hollywood. And so a friend of our family took me for my 12th birthday to, to Hollywood to go on all of the touristy like tours of sets and to the different theme parks and to see the Walk of Fame and to see the Hollywood sign. And I was very excited about this whole trip. And, and we were out on the Santa Monica Pier at one point and they were actually filming a television show on the pier. And we kind of stood by and we were watching as they were filming. And, and I was wearing a hat that said director on it because I wanted to be a director. And so the best way to tell people you want to be something is to wear it on a hat. And I was wearing a hat that just said director, black hat, white words, director. And so the director of the show came up to me and he said, oh, do you want to be a director? And I was like, check the hat, bro. I mean, 
why would I wear the hat if I didn't want to be a director? And he was like, why don't you sit in with us on set and you can kind of watch what's going on? And so I sat in, I hung out, it was a really cool day. And then he invited me the next day. He said, we're filming on set and it's a lot cooler. We have like more control of the situation. You'll get more of a real feel for what it's like to make a show. Why don't you come be my guest on the set of the show? And this show was called Chicago Hope. It was set in a hospital and um, Adam Arkin was the lead character in it. And so he was on the set that day and, and we were kind of hanging out. We had this whole day of just watching everything on the set. It was incredible. And the next night, our friend that had taken us, she had gotten us tickets to the Kids' Choice Awards, which are like a big awards show that Nickelodeon does for kids. And uh, they were always at the time hosted by, who was at the time talk show host, Rosie O'Donnell. And we were going to the Kids' Choice Awards and I was very excited about this and uh, we had an extra ticket. Somehow it came up on set that we had an extra ticket and Adam Arkin, celebrity Adam Arkin was like, my daughter would love to go to that with you guys if you've got you know, an extra ticket because you, know, you send your kid with strangers when you're a celebrity, I guess. And so he was like, I'll, I'll meet you guys there. She can go with you. And so we're outside the Kids' Choice Awards. Uh, she meets up with us and, and Adam Arkin looks at our tickets and he was like, These, they don't look like great tickets, which they were not great tickets. They were free tickets that you get like up in the nosebleed. And he was like, he was like I think Rosie is hosting this. It's like, I'm gonna see what I can do. And so he literally just walks up to a security guard, like, hi, I'm Adam Arkin. Could you please tell Rosie O'Donnell that I'm here and that my tickets aren't great? And the security guard takes the tickets, comes back with tickets just written on them in Sharpie and comes back, gives us our tickets. We're on the front row of the Kids' Choice Awards. And the reason we're on the front row of the Kids' Choice Awards is because it matters who you show up with. Like there are some people that God will bring into your life, into your situation that can get you places that you could not get on your own. And this is the situation that Moses is in at the time, but it's just not evident yet that he has been partnered with the right people. In fact, in this moment in his life, it probably seems like he's with the wrong people doing the wrong thing. Like he's not doing anything that seems inherently connected to what he's called to do with anybody who it seems could get him to the place that he needs to go. And yet the Bible says that when he's on the run, he's committed murder, he's made this mistake, he's on the run, he's ashamed, he's afraid, he's all of these things, and he meets a man named Jethro. And it, the Bible just casually says that Jethro invites him in. And this is what the right people in your life will do. They will invite you in to their lives. They will make space for you in their lives. See, there are some qualities about the right people that tend to show up. And one of them is that they will invite you in to their lives. They will give you space in their lives. They bring you in. That The right people will walk with you. They, they, they won't just encourage you. They won't just cheer you on. They will actually walk with you. And we've seen this all throughout the process of planting this church that God has brought alongside us, people who they don't just support the vision, they don't just partner with us, they don't just serve, they walk with us through what God is bringing us through. And everybody needs people in their lives who are willing to walk with them through their circumstances and through their situations. Because when you face circumstances and situations that seem impossible, that seem like you just can't get past them, there's something about having someone next to you walking through the same thing with you. They don't even necessarily have to be there, but they've made the decision to walk with you. The right people will invite you in and they will walk with you. And the right people will invest in you. 
They will invest in you. They will give you their time. They will give you their resources. They will invest in you. Like th This might sound uh, uh, sacrilegious or blasphemous to some people, but I can tell you that one of the things that we had to do as we were planting this church was we had to raise the funds to get this church launched. And so we had to kind of cast vision and invite people into the process of being a part of what God called us to do here in Sarasota. And, and we're here today because of the generosity of a lot of different people who gave towards the vision of Harbor Church. But, but can I tell you this? We did not receive one single check for Harbor Church made out from God. Now, God provided for every check that came in to Harbor Church, but he did it through people. And God is going to provide for you in your life through people. So, so sometimes we're crying out to God for provision. We're crying out for God to walk with us through circumstances, and he will do those things. But trust me when I say the way he will do it will be through people. He will bring the right people alongside of you to walk with you, to invite you in, and to invest in your life. And the right people in your life will do what Moses' father-in-law has done right here, and they will give you opportunities. But because they see, they, they see your responsibility in your life, they trust you and they give you responsibilities. They give you opportunities to grow. The, the only thing you have to realize though is that the opportunities that come your way through your relationships may not always look like good opportunities. They, they may not always look like the stepping stone to where you're trying to get. They may not always look like the end result. Moses is here and he's tending Jethro's sheep. This was not a glamorous job. Shepherds were not looked upon positively in this time. They were not at the top of the economic totem pole. And so here is Moses who is one of a few people at this time who would have been educated, who would have had some sort of stature, and he would have had some sort of place. He had grown up in the palace in a superpower in this time. And he's tending someone else's sheep. He's watching someone else's sheep. And have you ever been in one of those seasons where it feels like everything you're doing is taking you nowhere? Everything you're doing is taking you nowhere. You're just wandering. You feel like there is no intention and no purpose to what you're doing. I would imagine that this is the place that Moses is in at this time. Because all throughout the life of Moses, we seem to kind of fast forward in his life in 40-year intervals. And so at this point, when we've caught up with Moses, it's been 40 years since he committed murder and since he ran away from Egypt. He's now 80 years old. He's 80 years old and has yet to step into what will ultimately be his destiny, what will ultimately be his purpose. And he's tending sheep. And I can only imagine that after 40 years of tending sheep and wandering in the desert, he thinks the rest of his life is going to be tending sheep and wandering in the desert. There was this season in my life where when I was a younger teenager and I really got into music and I wanted to lead worship and, and I loved the idea of leading worship, but there was really no place for me to lead worship. There was really no place for me to jump in. I got involved. I was playing instruments in our church and in our youth group, but I never really had an opportunity to lead anything. And then I found out that our children's pastor at the time, who was a good friend of mine, was wanting to start a live worship band in children's church, like with nine through 11-year-olds. 
And nine through 11 year olds are rarely very good at music. They're rarely very good at at that point in their life at playing together as a team. But this was the opportunity in front of me. And so I started to lead in children's church and I led in children's church for like three years and I enjoyed it and I loved serving in there. But also by the time you're like 17 years old, it's not necessarily cool to be leading worship in children's church. Like it's not like the coolest place you could be on Sunday morning. There's, there's better slots. And so I was leading worship in children's church. And then through a series of events, our worship pastor moved away. Our youth worship leader started kind of leading in adults. And I started kind of leading in youth for just a few weeks. And then our youth uh, worship leader's father was transferred in an instant. And suddenly I was leading worship for the adults, the youth, and the kids all at once. And I think sometimes we wait for an opportunity rather than just taking the opportunity that's right in front of us and allowing God to promote us when it's time, allowing God to, to let us recognize that, that he is preparing us for what it is he wants to do in our lives. And see, all of these things, uh, Moses being with the right people, doing the right thing in the right place, all of these things are what led to him being positioned to finally receive the call that was on his life. But what I want you to notice is that it began by serving someone else's vision. It began by serving someone else's vision. It began by leading someone else's sheep. He's tending Jethro's sheep. And I imagine that for 40 years, he wondered what could leading sheep through the wilderness possibly have to do with with rescuing and redeeming an entire nation of people. And yet we see in Psalms chapter 77, verses 20, God says that Moses led the children of Israel through the desert like a shepherd leads his sheep. See, when it came time for for God to trust someone with leading his children, he looked and he saw someone who was already good at leading someone else's sheep. He looked and he saw someone who had already been prepared. See, Moses wandered through the wilderness with someone else's sheep for 40 years before he took the children of Israel through the desert for 40 years. God gave Moses an opportunity to live the Exodus story before he led the Exodus story. And so often that is what will be true of your life and my life is that God will give you an opportunity to to, to live in private your ultimate calling before you even lead it. That you'll have an opportunity to live it and learn it in private. He will prepare us. The problem is that we don't always recognize God's preparation as preparation. We don't always recognize in the moment. I mean, Moses could have kind of phoned in the being a shepherd part of his life. He could have kind of counted it as something that was not really necessary to his life. But this is why Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Because you never know how the role that you're in right now is preparing you for what God has for you in the future. You never know. Moses got good at something that we were not good at while he was a shepherd. He got good at something that we don't often do a good job of, especially in this day and age. Moses was very good. We see all throughout his story that Moses was good at giving his attention to the moment that he was in. He was good at giving his attention to the moment that he was in. This is something that in our distracted world, we are very bad at. In Exodus 3 verse 2, it says, Moses was on the mountain 
And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and that it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. See, I think a lot of times when we hear this story and we hear this idea that this bush was on fire, we think, of course, Moses went over to it. A bush was on fire. Like we love fire. We're drawn to fire. Just a few weeks ago, I was driving back to my house and I was at the stoplight about to turn into our neighborhood and I saw a giant pillar of smoke coming out from a place where I knew there should not be a giant pillar of smoke. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So I turned into our neighborhood, but instead of turning left into our street, I turned right down the street where I knew I could see the smoke coming from. And sure enough, like about a quarter mile down the road, there were two giant dumpsters behind an apartment complex just raging on fire. And I could hear the fire department coming and they were on their way, but there was just this massive fire and people were gathered looking at it because there was fire where there should not have been fire. And when there's fire where there should not be fire, it catches our attention. The problem is that this was not fire where there should not have been fire. Moses was in the desert. He was wandering and, and history would tell us that he had probably actually seen a lot of burning bushes. That in drought times, in the mountains, in this region, when it's that hot and bushes are that dry, they tend to catch on fire. And so it's not even necessarily that this would have been something that caught his attention or was cause for concern. Because in the desert, it's not like there's this forest of trees that if one catches fire, they all catch fire. There's small amounts of brush that if they catch fire, they're going to be consumed by the fire and then they're going to go out. But Moses was giving his attention to the moment and it says what he noticed was that the bush was on fire and not being burned up. That he noticed this very slight detail of what was going on that really probably would have been easy to miss at a time where bushes tended to burn. And yet he noticed that it, was on, that it was not being burnt. Verse two says that he saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So he thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. The strange sight was why the bush didn't burn up. He paid attention to what God was doing in that moment, and then he moved towards it. And the Bible says, that when God saw that Moses moved towards the burning bush, then he spoke. That when he saw that Moses took a step, then he spoke. See, Moses' call did not come until after he took a step towards what God was doing. And often we're waiting for God to speak while he's waiting for us to step. He's waiting for us to move towards what he is doing. Listen, if you are unclear about the call of God on your life, move towards what God is doing. Look around, notice what God is doing, pay attention to it, and move towards what God is doing. Don't try to find the perfect spot. Don't try to find the perfect spot for your calling or for your giftedness. Just move towards what God is doing. If I'm being very honest, one of the most frustrating things that I hear from people in the church is that they're praying about where God wants them to serve. I understand the sentiment. I understand the sentiment of praying to where God wants you to serve. But can I tell you that if you will just take a step towards what God is doing, don't worry about the position. Don't worry about what it is. Don't worry about if it fits perfectly in your natural gifting. If you will take a step, God will clarify the call. 
If you begin to move towards what God is doing, God will clarify the call. See, see your attention is expensive. Your attention has value. The, 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 most, the most valuable, the, the, most, uh, the most powerful, the, the, the companies that have the most money in the world, they sit around tables and they spend millions of dollars strategizing on how to get and keep your attention. Your attention has value and we have to pay attention to where we put it. And I think so often we miss the extraordinary that's happening right in front of us because our attention is somewhere else. We miss what's happening right in front of us because our attention is somewhere else. But Moses moved towards the bush in Exodus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The place where you are standing is holy ground. He tells him to take off his sandals. Now, there's a few important implications here. One is that at this time, in this day, in this age, that when, when you were aware that you were in the presence of God, you would remove your sandals. You would take them off to acknowledge that this is holy ground. But there's something else that, that many theologians and many people who study these chapters have, have, have realized, and that it's that this chapter begins by Moses saying that he is a stranger in a foreign land, that he has no home, that he belongs nowhere. And in this ancient culture, when you entered into someone's house, you would remove your sandals. And God has just told Moses that he is entering the presence of God to remove his sandals. And it's almost as if God is saying, you have found your home, you have found the place that you belong, and it's in my presence. See, Moses, all throughout the call of God on his life, as he walked out the purpose of God on his life, Moses never seemed to really belong anywhere. He was always a bit of a wanderer. He always had questions about his identity and where he belonged. But in this moment, God settles this question of where he belongs and says, listen, you belong in my presence. You are at home in my presence. And if you take my presence with you everywhere you go, you will never be without a home. It doesn't matter where your purpose takes you. It doesn't matter where the call of God on your life takes you. It doesn't matter if you're wandering through the desert for 40 years. You can be at home because you are at home in my presence. And this becomes a running theme in Moses's life that he will not step unless the presence of God is with him. And it's because he's found his home in the presence. And it's in that moment when he finds his home in the presence of God that God speaks into his situation. Beginning in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned for their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, in this moment, God speaks clarity to the call of God on Moses's life. He says, I have seen, I have heard, and I am concerned. And I think so often that is our question about our lives. It is, does God see what I'm going through? 
Does God see what my family is walking through? Does God hear when I cry out for him? Does God care? And here, God says what he says so often in our situations that I have seen and I have heard and I am concerned. But beyond that, I'm doing something about it and I'm doing it through you. And I think so often when, when we're concerned about our lives, about our family situations, about uh, what's going on in our lives, we're crying out to God and he's saying, I see it and I hear it and I'm concerned about it. And I'm going to use you to change it. I'm going to use you to make a difference. I'm going to use you to walk, not just yourself, but other people through it. And as I was studying this this week, one of the things that stood out to me was that God says in this moment, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious place. See, I love that God's plan for redemption, not just in this moment, but in our lives, is never just to bring us out of something. It's to bring us out of something and into something else. I have come to bring them out of that land and into a new land. I have come to bring them out of slavery and into freedom. See, I think so often the things that we turn to to get ourselves out of situations are just a new form of bondage. They're just a new form of slavery and they may get us out of that one thing, but now we're just into another thing. And God says, no, in order to really bring redemption into your life, I have to both rescue you and redeem you. It's a story of rescue. I will bring you out and it's a story of redemption. Then I will bring you in. And some of us have been striving and working so hard in our own power to get out of the situation we're in. When God says, I want to use you not just to get out of the situation you're in, but to get into freedom, to get into the life that I have called you to. It's a story of rescue and a story of redemption. And you you may be in this place this morning and you may say, man, I am in a place where I need rescue. My situation is desperate. My situation is dire. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope and I need rescue. But for others of you in this place this morning, you may say, listen, I feel like I have been rescued. I know God has done a work in my life, but I've yet to come from out of to into. I've yet to come into what God has called me to. I've yet to come into that new and spacious place that he has. And the good news is that we all have the opportunity to enter into what God has for us this morning. That we all have a place, that we all have a place to receive what God has done. See, this is what's so amazing about the call of God on Moses' life is that it is a picture of what the call on your life looks like in that you can receive that rescue and then you can participate in the redemption. You can receive that rescue and then you get to participate in the redemption. See, we are not just recipients. We are both recipients and participants in the work of God. We receive and then we have the honor of participating in it. And it began with Moses simply saying, here I am, here I am. I love that Moses said, here I am before God spoke. Moses said, here I am, before he knew the extent of what God was going to say to him. Moses said, here I am, before he knew the cost he was going to have to pay to walk out the call of God on his life. Moses began with, here I am. And that doesn't mean he didn't have questions along the way. It doesn't mean he didn't have fear along the way. It didn't, doesn't mean he didn't have uncertainty along the way, but he began with, here I am. 
And it's amazing what God can do with our lives when we begin with here I am. With here I am, use me. Here I am, fulfill your purpose through me. Here I am. That's the place where we begin this morning. That's the place where we find that rescue and that redemption. It's not about hearing the plan all laid out and and, and then approving of it, saying, yes, I'm up for the task. I'm up for what you've called me to. No, it's about simply beginning with here I am. And there are some really practical steps that you can take to get the right people in your life and to move towards what God has for you in your life. We need to take the next step of entering into community together with one another. And as we kick off even groups next week, I encourage you to find the people that you're going to allow into your life. Some of you need to be that right person for somebody else. Some of you have resources that that you need to invest into someone else's life. You need to make yourself available in someone else's life. You need to invite people into your life, but you need the right people. And then you need to move towards what it is that God is doing. You need to move towards what God is doing. Listen, I, I've always tell people, I always tell our teams that, that church and community comes alive when you're serving together. When you're sharing in a mission together, you need to get on a team because you need the right people in your life and you need to be doing the right thing in the right place in order to be positioned to hear the call of God on your life. Would you just stand with me all across this room this morning? every head bowed and every eye closed today.